Casey Kasem. Casey voices. Kasem is one of the reasons I podcast. Let's go. <laughs> Hey everyone, and welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I am James Anderson, one of your hosts. And I am Colin Parker, one of your other hosts. On this show, we're going through the MCU in historical order, scene by scene, or day by day, until the end of time. And uh, James? Yes? I think this is going to be one of those no-nonsense episodes. No laughs. Absolutely. No, 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 don't you break on me now. Absolutely. I'm I'm putting my foot down. Mike Mm. Snyder is back. Yes. And I think that Mike is probably the guest that laughs the most. So I'm gonna put an acting challenge forward and say the first one that breaks has to uh oh god, I don't know. I didn't think of the stakes actually. Has to buy a cheeseburger for Uh the other two people. Fair enough. All right. Well, I wrote the hilarious copy, so good luck, fuckers. All right, here we go. Dottie Underwood wakes Shit. up, works out, and joins. Was that? My- I've already lost. Yep, I win. I'm gonna just send. <laughs> I'm just gonna send y'all cheeseburgers. Dottie Underwood wakes up, works out, and joins Peggy at the automat for breakfast. She offers Peggy half of her bread, which seems innocent enough, but which somehow has an incredibly ominous vibe to it for some reason. Then she asks Peggy for Correct. a pen to make her plans for getting to know the city. She makes the most cliche NYC tourist choices while Peggy loses herself in thought while looking at Jarvis's business card. Dottie gets her attention and Peggy rejoins the game already in progress. She tells Dottie that those are tourist traps and that to get to know the city, she needs to get to know real people with real jobs, not phony superficial ones. And saying this, she rips up Jarvis's business card. She tells Dottie to go to Brooklyn, because of course she does, and Dottie is impressed with the way she can patriot up a conversation. Then Dottie clumsily knocks Peggy's purse off the table. She picks up all the stuff that falls out and gives Peggy her purse back. Peggy's, Peggy goes off to work, unaware that Dottie has stolen the key to her apartment. Jarvis approaches her at the newsstand and tries to get her to listen to him. She says that he had his chance and he lied to her about the Blitzkrieg button being a thing that wasn't a container for Steve's blood. And then I I took the dialogue down because I think it's really, really good and I didn't want to summarize it. So here's the dialogue. Uh, imagine these in Carter and Jarvis's perfect flawless voices. Here we go. Sure. Howard didn't want my help to prove his innocence. He wanted a new toy to manipulate. Miss Carter, you must know that Mr. Stark has the greatest admiration only for himself. He can be thoughtless, inconsiderate, vain, childish, unreliable, arrogant. You flatter him. That's the most Shakespearean line on this whole season of television. But he is a good man. He used me. He uses you whether you choose to see it or not. There might be actually more Shakespearean lines than that, but that's pretty good. He needs your help, Miss Carter. What he needs is a servant, and he already has that in you. And what does the SSR have in you? I am a federal agent, Mr. Jarvis. Yes, finely trained and skilled in the art of fetching coffee. These men call you... These men you call your colleagues, they don't respect you. They don't even see you. Do you honestly expect they'll change their minds? I expect I will make them. As I was reading that, I realized that I didn't say what the timestamp is. So future Colin, pop this in. This is Agent Carter, uh, season one, episode five. uh, And it's going to start at two minutes and nine seconds and end at 21 minutes and 53 seconds. This is episode is called The Iron Ceiling, which is one of the best titles of an episode which has this content um, that I've ever heard. Peggy arrives at a build, at a bustling SSR office. The magic typewriter has turned on and deli- de- delivered an encoded message. 
A dude from Arlington Hall is up trying to crack it, but in Susan's word, he stinks at his job. Peggy comes in. It, it is true. Yeah, it's for sure true. Peggy comes in, recognizes the encryption system from her time at Bletchley, and cracks it immediately. Well, more on that later. It is right. a superheroic thing. The message gives coordinates, then says, purchase confirmed, exchange at 0800, April 27th, Leviathan 2, acquire prototype Havoc Reactor, payment of $100,000 American upon delivery, payable to Howard Stark. Confident that Stark will be at the meeting with Leviathan, Dooley instructs agents Lee and Ramirez to go with Thompson to Belarus, which is where the coordinates say that they're going to. We'll get to that later. Well, they don't say that, but they say they say that. Anyways, Carter says she is more qualified than anyone for the mission and will also be going to Belarus. Thompson, of course, has a big problem with this. He feels like he's going to be babysitting Carter and he doesn't want to waste the effort. Peggy insists that she knows the area better than anyone, but Dooley says that it's a... it's. A damned if you do, damned if you don't situation for him. He says they're putting together a tactical team that knows the area well enough. Then she brings up the 107th, and neither Thompson nor Dooley think that she can get them to be on the mission. She goes to contact them as Thompson again protests her coming on the mission. Dooley says that he is under a lot of pressure and he doesn't have time for their petty squabbles. What he actually says is, I don't have time for your cr your little crush on Carter, which feels very uh, jealous. Just saying. Um, Thompson takes the note and begins to plan the mission as Peggy comes back to tell them that the 107th will meet them exactly where Thompson had been planning, as it is the most obvious plan. Peggy then has to deal with the bullshit of an official government office that doesn't have a women's changing room, so after being teased by Thompson, she just walks in, startling the men that are changing in there. Thompson comes in, too, and informs Lee and Ramirez that Carter is coming and shuts down their protests right away. Carter and Thompson trade barbs of the usual topics. He's a dummy. She's hot but incapable. He's immature. She was a sex object for Captain America. And then Sousa comes in with a field report. He gives Thompson incredibly helpful data and pays Carter a compliment without knowing she's in the room. Then Thompson sends him over to where Peggy is changing as like a prank on them both, I guess. As he turns to leave, Sousa notices a scar from a bullet wound on Peggy's shoulder. And when he does, the music kind of fades in, which tells me that probably we need to remember that scar. As they fly to Belarus, Thompson is nervous about jump parachuting out of the plane. Carter tries to console him, and then he is an asshole to her. The jump goes fine, and they meet up with the HC, which we will recall means Howling Commandos, which is what the 107th are called, who make it clear on numerous occasions that Peggy is to be respected and honored. They drive some trucks up to Lithuania and cross into Russia at Ashmiani, which adds probably about five hours to their trip, but also avoids the Russian army. I map quested it. Google Maps did. As they ride, Peggy gives Triple D a bottle of bourbon from her private stash. She fills him in on Stark and Leviathan, and they both agree that if Leviathan isn't actually expecting Stark, then it's definitely a trap. Then the mood shifts, and they both take a second to acknowledge that they miss Steve. Meanwhile, actually this isn't true. Belarus is eight hours ahead. We may actually be missing a day, but let's not worry our pretty little heads about that. Back in the SSR office, Dooley talks to Sousa about why he's still there, and then he says that he's meeting a friend for a drink. Dooley leaves, and Yauk gives Sousa a file. It's Peggy's war record. He confirms that the scar he saw was a gunshot wound, and then he pulls out the pictures from Spider-Raymond's club and sees that the mysterious woman has an identical scar. Around the campfire, Thompson sees how well-regarded Peggy is, how she is in on the inside jokes. These are her comrades. Thompson and, her SS and the SSR office are merely her co-workers. Peggy graciously gives Thompson a chance to tell the story of how he got the Navy Cross. Being able to share the story that made you a hero with your heroes is huge. 
Thompson tells of waking up to see six Japanese soldiers walking into camp and how he shot all of them before they knew he was there, and how he saved his CO from getting his throat slit. The story earns him a swig from the bottle of bourbon and the quiet respect of the HC and PC. At the bar, Dooley talks with an unnamed SSR informant. The informant tells him about how 248 Russians were massacred and no one will take credit. This man is a journalist of some kind, and he wrote a piece on the battle for the New York Times, but his editor was scared to implicate Stark and the army in a conspiracy, so the piece was killed. Dooley asks about Stark's involvement and, involvement, and the informant says that Stark was there for the cleanup of the massacre. The informant says that the guy in charge of the cleanup, McGinnis, was not pleased with Stark's presence there. Stark tried to punch McGinnis, even though the general was twice Stark's size. Dooley asks what could have set Stark off. The informant doesn't know, but he does know that McGinnis, quote, wiped the floor with him and then resigned a week later. Then Stark turned down a seven-figure contract with the army and never worked with them again. The informant doesn't think it's much of a coincidence that Stark is now public enemy number one. Dooley contends that the SSR aren't railroading Stark, that they have evidence. The informant says they don't have the whole story and that somebody does, but they're keeping it to themselves. I started keeping track of McGinnis on my characters mentioned or or seen mm-hmm. uh, spreadsheet because now McGinnis is, by the time we're recording this on November 13th, 2022, we have four McGinnis mentions on different episodes. We don't see the person. It's not, there's no actor. He is literally a name, but he gets mentioned a lot. The McGinnis MacGuffin. The McGinnis MacGuffin. Excellent job. Thank you. Um, Also, congratulations to you both for hitting the mute button before laughing uproariously at my hilarious uh, writing. Um, So I have a lot of notes. I have a a shorter, um, a shorter uh, Avengers Ensemble and a longer in the comics. Sure. Uh, the, the commentary, though, for example, about like being jealous and stuff like that, because like we've definitely talked about the way that Dooley is, is like it is funny because like that is it is very accurate. Right. Yeah. It's also very interesting because we didn't talk about this, I think, in the last one um, that we recorded together because I had the thought like at the back of my head as we were talking about it. But I was kind of like, well, no, it was kind of like a passing thought, right? Didn't didn't really think anything of it until we heard this bit. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe there is actually something to this thought. So I'm going to go ahead and jump in with it, which is, do you think, so do you think that they were maybe initially considering trying to create this situation of, okay, we want Peggy to move on from Rogers. So we're going to basically pit her in like a love triangle type situation because Mm. Sousa is definitely crushing on her. Right. right. And I don't think that she really at the time has any feelings for either Sousa or Thompson. Right. But they've now multiple times kind of tried to make it seem like we're going from enemies to lovers for Thompson and and uh, I almost said Sousa, which boy, what a what a story that would be. Right. Uh, Which again, Dooley would be doubly Dooley would literally. James. Was that off color? (laughs) James, I, I have to edit that because that's such a big <laughs> thing. That's such a big, crucial thing. You can't do that. Yeah, I mean, you know, right around here is probably a good time to be cutting a lot of stuff. Hey, Colin, future Colin, yeah. maybe did you? Did you? Did you? Yep, did you? Come on. Anyway, uh, I just think it's it's a fascinating little thing that they kind of try to do. I think especially the last episode of, of TV, I mean, specifically, not like of what we recorded. Um, And then also this episode and a little bit of the next one. I feel like those three in particular really leaned on 
Thompson and Carter, maybe. Oh, will they, won't they? And I feel like it just didn't happen. Like, I think they have chemistry, but I don't think they have that kind of chemistry. And so I right. think they kind of abandoned that thought yeah. process. Um, I love the idea that Thompson is a facsimile of, of Rogers. I think that's really an inch. I'd never thought about that before. Like mm. the idea that it's like, he's like, that's a good point. Steve Rogers, but like, like bat bad inside. <laughs> like, I think like I think generic that... Dr. Pepper sort of. <sighs> okay. Sorry. Did, did you, mm, I'm not calling I saw a TikTok that I sent to you about. Uh, John oh, okay. Green you you mean like the n- not when you say generic, you mean like instead of regular, like plain Dr. Pepper, you mean like the off-brand Dr. Correct. Peppers. Okay, gotcha. Yes, yes, yes. Like like Ro- like Rogers is Dr. Pepper and Thompson is like is Dr. Thunder. Dr. Dr. Thunder. Yeah. Correct. The nice. correct. We've picked. We've all picked the correct one. Yeah. For sure. So Dr. Perky is the second best. You know what I'm actually thinking, or now kind of recognizing. I think that what it is is what makes this interesting. This possible like tryst or love, whatever. Is that uh, they are both parts of what makes yes. Rogers, but they are both not yes. fully there, and that's yes. what, yeah, right, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yep, that's definitely that's hundred percent what it is, yep. Um, Thompson um, mostly um, just looks, but you know, right, yeah. So yeah, I I I really think this this ep- I I I almost called it a scene because I'm used to scenes. Uh-huh. Um, on this show, not days. Uh, this day shows it, it really important uh, that it, it's it's really good to have the Howling Commandos and her current team interacting of because Peggy already has the respect of the Howling Commandos. Right, like they they have gone through hell together, and you know show that you know the SSR all the asshole misogynists are like. Hey, she knows what she's talking about. You, you don't. don't. I think that any a dumb dumb could be point. kind and respectful ha, to a woman. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Set, like, listen, any dumb dumb Dugan winks. Yes. Right? Uh, no, I, Hi, I, Peggy. I think that like this is also an interesting thing too of like showing that toxic masculinity, for example, has been around for ages, right? For sure. But oh, sure. like that, even back then, there were people that could break free of that societal norm. Yeah. And like, this is proof that like, you know, there's definitely people who think that just because they're a guy, they can, you know, yeah. like John Bernthal I mean, would like to have a word with every single one of those. people. Absolutely. Though. I mean, listen, I literally just watched or read rather a, a thing the other day about like a story from Norm Macdonald, which was that like when Alec Baldwin was like on one of his first episodes ever of SNL, he was trying to fit in with the guys, you know, try, trying to mm-hmm. be one, one of the guys. And saw a hot woman walking past them. And he said, I would saw off my left leg to <clears throat> with, sure. with her. And Norm MacDonald responded with, you could probably just ask her. Which I think <laughs> is like, that is what this is to me, right? Which yeah. is, you know, Thompson yeah. being like, hey, what's up? How I come in those women, am I right? And they're like, no. And he's like, that. <laughs> Backfire. Every time they're like, Peggy, come on. Also, the rest of you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. also, like, you know, that, that, that was what I very much they, enjoyed. Any, yeah. Anytime they have like a conversation, and like, I think it's it's eye opening to like specifically, to, um, I think it's, it's an important thing because of what's going to come. And I don't want to like mm. spoil anything, but like, I think there's a like, they have to show the moment where Thompson starts to see it. Yes. Um, right. Uh, but the other thing is, and also this is now taking us into a wildly different direction, but 
this has reminded me of something that I was going to ask a question about, something from your summary. Mm-hmm. You said that they made they met the HC, mm-hmm. which is what they called the Howling Commandos. Yeah. Which is what they called the 107th. In this episode, she says the 107th, but the people that she has called are the Howling Commandos. Okay. Because it's like all Howling Commandos are part of the 107th, but not all members of the 107th are Howling Commandos. So it's Commandos. like a square and rectangle situation. Right, exactly. Got it. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah, and I guess with, if Phillips is not necessarily leading them, like who would be leading them? Like who is their platoon? Right. Is Dugan, I guess, then just in charge? Yeah. Then? Yeah. Okay. He has the bowler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He who has the bowler gets to command the howling command. Absolutely. May he who can take this bowler from my crown. Exactly. The next. Uh, yeah. I think that the, the, the interactions between like <laughs> Peggy Dugan forgot the password. <laughs> it's like it's ostrich. She's like, it's eagles. You big yeah. oafs. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then Dugan's like, hiya, Peggy fellas. Like just he's just the biggest, just the biggest Doberman, just like dumb dumb Doberman. Like he's just like, dumb, dumb, dumb. what's up? <laughs> it's me. I I think this is also crucial too because like I think it shows that like they were part of the they were a part of SSR when the war was happening. Right. They are no longer a part of the SSR, so they don't have a allegiance to that company or right. that crew. But they do feel like an allegiance to, you know, Peggy. But like, I also think it's that thing of like, you know, when two groups of friends meet. Ugh, I try right? to avoid it at all. I comes. know exactly what and you're, you're talking like, about. And you're like, listen, uh, you're about to meet a bunch of people, and they think that I have a British accent. You're like, <laughs> what do you mean? Right, and she's like, "Just go along with it when it happens. Just, just flow with it; it'll be right. fine. Yeah. Don't worry about it." One time, Kristen like, threw me a surprise party with cheerio. all of the groups of my friends, and it sucked. It would be like if we had an entirely new podcast, like like two I'm co-hosts, listening. right? Yes, of of another show who have uh-huh. never listened to our show before. Oh, okay. Like guest on our show, right? Uh, but oh, no, no, sorry. Let me let me let me make this slightly different. Mm-hmm. There's three people on their show. Okay. Okay. All three of them come to guest on our show. And one of them knows all of our inside jokes and like our punchlines and stuff like that. And he's like, hey, time is weird. What's up, guys? Meanwhile, his two friends are hanging back. What like, episode of The Mentalist, baby? Yeah, exactly. And they're <laughs> like, I don't understand what's happening. And he's like, okay. Anyway, and like, it's that thing of like. You can just say it's the most. No, that's not <laughs> it. No, but like that, because in that case, that would be, I would be that middle guy. And that's unfortunate for you. Um, but like I, it was, I was just making oh, up a random example. I'm, I'm like, so sorry, so sorry. I want to take that back. I picked the wrong people. You can just say it's uh, your pop filter. Oh, That's yeah. That's the joke I was trying to make. Sorry, sorry. There sorry. you go. Yeah. But like I, I think that like it's fascinating because like they are kind of like they're just excited to see Peggy, and they do not care if they are immediately throwing out um, inside jokes. They're like, you're going to be on the outside, and we kind of like it that way. Yeah. So just get right. used to, we're going to make references that you don't know. Yeah. If you haven't watched the source material, right? It's like, yeah. you can't say you love the anime if you haven't read the manga. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what they're oh, saying. Oh, it's totally, like, it's like you, you know, you've been named one song to this, to the, you know, this girlfriend, girl, 
friend, this girl coworker. Right. And then you get to the show and the band's like, hey, Peggy. Anyways, this is for Peggy. And like, it's a song you're like, I don't know this. And and she turns around and is like, oh, this is from, oh, you don't have that. Yeah, they didn't ever release that album. I have it. Right. But like, because it's all of a sudden all of did your you fish? high ground. Yeah, it did sound like fish, didn't it? Um. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's like it's like immediately all of the things you were holding against her, like holding over her head, like are are dissolved. Like, yeah. I, I think that's that. a fascinating thing for Thompson to see. Is that like mm-hmm. he, like again like he says to her like we all oh no no wait no that's that's Flynn right that says to her we all know why you're here you're like you're like they the, both have said that right. <laughs> Right. say out loud like the sex thing did he no because remember it was the fo- um, Dooley was actually kind of the one that was like listen we all know that you were like he calls her like an old flame God. right right i think yeah. right but like i feel and, like the, and I mean, thompson's the one that's like does the uh what's that called a uh, weaponized incompetence where he's like you're so much better at making copies than i am here yes do, do my yeah, work yeah. for me yeah absolutely right yeah i mean i think it's it's definitely a situation of like it's, what's the word for it? Like, it's also like, it's it's almost like undercover boss. I'm I'm mm-hmm. just now putting this together, A little right? Bit. Mm-hmm. Like, she's part of sure, what yeah. made the SSR. <laughs> Except right? she's been like, I'm the I'm I'm the undercover boss, right? And everyone, everyone's I'm like, the okay. undercover boss. And no one believes her. She's like, you, sure you, you don't get what that is, but CBS is going to be really into this idea in like <laughs> you know 40, 50 years. I'm um, I know the president of the company. Yeah, yeah, sure, right. whatever. Shut up. Exactly. Coffee. My <laughs> uncle works at Nintendo. They're like, okay, yeah, I'm so sure. Like, that's what that is, right? No, this is me with him. Yeah, nice fake picture. Yeah, okay, yeah. You know Reggie. Okay, I'm so sure. <laughs> I, I think it's really, uh, uh, they show uh, the way that when Peggy talks, people kind of open up to her. Mm-hmm. That kind of shows her, like, you know, she even opens that space for Thompson to tell his Right. Maybe maybe a little fabricated story. Hey, listen, as far as we know, it's completely true right now. It seems pretty uh, specific. So I don't know. We'll find out, I'm yeah. sure. Um, but uh, the fact that he she explicitly opens that space for him to, to kind of get on the good side of the Howling <laughs> Commandos says a lot about Peggy to me. Did either of you imagine a scenario where he doesn't pick up what she's dropping and he just continues to be just an absolute asshole? It's like, yeah, they don't give you a, a, a Navy cross for digging ditches. And he's like, just shut. You don't, you wouldn't know a Navy cross if it bit you in the, and then she's like, dude, I'm, are you kidding? Are you kidding right now? I'm giving you this opportunity and that's how you're treating. Like, right. that's been my experience more than uh, someone understands yeah, the. <laughs> not, not understanding the, in, the, hey, that, that's an interesting thing you've got there. Here's a silver platter. What? Yeah, nice fucking stupid silver platter you got there. Hey, yeah, Bat this it is to the ground. stupid. Silver, I mean, <laughs> yeah, gold yeah. is what's in. Am I right? Dum Dum Dugan? You, you drop like, kick it into yeah. their face? Like, what, Dum Dum Dugan there? head to toe in silver. Yeah. He's like, what? <laughs> Avengers Ensemble. So, first, Pete the Newspaper Guy is his full credited name. Pete, oh, good. the mm-hmm. newspaper guy. Um, God, when people, if you were gonna get confused with the other Pete's, when he got when his family got to Ellis Island, they really fucked him over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the newspaper guy. <laughs> his, 
his his name was Bukowski. I don't know how they got the newspaper guy. I don't know, but uh, that's his his family name. At at that point, it just reminds me of the one eight hundred collect. It's like I had a baby. He had a baby. Exactly. Classic. God, that's such a good commercial. J. Anthony McCarthy is the name of this of this actor. Um, his father was J. Anthony McCarthy Sr. That's not true. I don't know. All right, so he was. I was like, dang, that yeah. was a whole discussion we yeah. just had. He was in uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, the movie from last Whoa. year. He nice. was in one episode of Castle, nineteen episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, season eight motion comic. So not the show, but the motion comic they made of the comic book that was the follow-up to the tv show did you know about this have you heard about this i'm I not, a not and this kind of hurts my brain a little bit so buffy went yeah, through I, season I, seven but uh joss whedon had all these other he had like stories plotted out but they canceled his show so sure he basically went to i think marvel and was like what if we just called it buffy the vampire slayer season eight i'm pretty sure they did season eight nine and ten but they also made a motion comic, and this guy did the voice of Giles, I believe. Uh, he was on one episode of Alias, one episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Uh, I had the thought while I wrote Sabrina the Teenage Witch that Sabrina the Teenage Witch and Buffy the Vampire Slayer are the same construction of title. Uh, uh, Dark Crypt- Horse Comics, by the way. Oh, it was Dark Horse. Okay, yeah. Um, cryptographer, the you know the inept crypto- cryptographer, uh, played by a guy named Jared Gertner. Uh, he was on one episode of BoJack Horseman and one episode of Supernatural. Um, Mike Lee was played by Eddie Shin. Uh, he was in the movie Peppermint, where he played Agent Lee. And I'm going to say that again. He is playing an Agent Lee on two different uh, two different credits. Mm. Love it. Same character, different character? Uh, I think different character. I did look it up. Um, so, yeah. But it, they are both spelled L-I. Okay. So, okay. you know. Who am I to who am I to Original, say? Yeah. Uh, four episodes of The Man in the High Castle, three episodes of Westworld, one episode of Lucifer, one episode of Bones, one episode of Ghost Whisperer, one episode of Castle, one episode of the of Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, and one episode of Pushing Daisies. By the way, listener, if you haven't ever watched Pushing Daisies, I highly recommend it. It is very good and weird. It's a weird show. Um, Rick Mer- Rick Mer- mm? Rick. Ramirez is played by Greg Serrano. Uh, he's on six episodes of Mayans MC, which I believe is the uh, uh, Sons of Anarchy spinoff. I have done research on that because other people have been in that show, but Mayan pretty sure that's Man what comics. that is. Ma- Ma- Mayans Marvel Comics, right? Uh, Mayan Man. Um, actually, I think the guy that played Mayan Man was in Mayans MC. <laughs> was he really? That's amazing. I'm pretty that's sure. Like, that's incredible. <laughs> Uh, two episodes of The Rookie, one episode of Castle. He is uh, Nathan Fillion's cousin. That's a, that's a joke. One episode of The Mentalist. The Mentalist. I just shouted that at Lila's room. Um, She's going to come downstairs going, what? <laughs> what's The Mentalist? Let's watch it. Like, okay. Not right now. Uh, not right now. Um, he was in Terminator Salvation. He was in one episode of The Dead Zone. One episode of the 2002 Twilight Zone. He was in Legally Blonde. He was the guy in the trial in Legally Blonde. It's like, honey, you know, I wouldn't wear those Louba- like those shoes with that, whatever. He was like the, the gay lover uh, in Legally Blonde. Basically, he is the hinge of the trial in Legally Blonde. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was in the Kevin Costner movie, The Postman, which lots of people didn't like, but which I did like when I saw it. 
25 years ago. So let's move on to Junior Juniper, who has played... Oh, uh, sorry, Greg Serrano is also... A pepper. Uh, Greg Serrano's... Sorry. His wife plays... Uh, um, Molly from Runaways' uh, mom. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. In, the, in, in Runaways. Um, yeah, I can't place her, her character name, but yeah. 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 Something... I, I I swear to God I paid. We're gonna come. I'm gonna come across it because I've put it somewhere and it's not gonna be whatever. It'll be fun to discover on on a later date. Um, Junior Juniper is played by a guy named James Austin Kerr. Two credits, one episode of Bones, and that's right, you guessed it. One episode of The Mentalist. I was gonna say Castle. Shit. Hey yo. Hey yo. Uh, Happy Sam Sawyer is played by Leonard Roberts. Uh, he, he is in three episodes of the Charmed reboot. He is in one episode of the 2020 Spider-Man show, four episodes of The Magicians, one episode of The Mentalist, two episodes of Yay. Castle, 17 episodes of Heroes. I believe he's like the first protagonist of one of the first protagonists of Heroes. Uh, two episodes of Smallville, one episode of Bones, one episode of 24, and 12 episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Which guy is this again? Sorry. Of uh, um, Happy Sam Sawyer. He's the the black guy that's like. No, really I meant serious. the actor. Sorry. Oh, uh, his name's Leonard Roberts. He's... I need to put a face to the name. Yes. Okay. His, yep. his, he and his wife have, uh, like, superpowers and whatever, I think, in here. It's been a bit. D.L. Hawkins. first season of... Is the name of the character's character. name. Yeah. yeah. So close to D.L. Hughley, I just can't even... I think... Yeah, I think I think it's their kid that has powers. Micah he Sanders. Has, or they discovered they have powers even as they know... I think he has like. Oh no no yeah he can phase stuff. through objects and oh, allow them to phase through him. Right, right that's right. right that's right. Intangibility is his power. So let's move on to Pinky Pinkerton is played by Richard Short. He was in one episode <laughs> of Jack Ryan, four episodes of Six 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 Park Avenue, one episode of American Horror Story, and one episode of Fringe. Fringe is also a great show. Uh, the it SSR is. informant is played by John Glover, and he has by far the biggest. Credits and also no name on this television program. So here we go. Wow. Uh, also, weirdly, because I did some, I was looking at him and then I started writing stuff down. This is going to be in historical order. Like I usually start newest to oldest. This is going to be oldest to newest. So buckle up because it's going to feel like we're upside down. He was in one episode of the 1986 Twilight Zone, two episodes of Murder She Wrote. He was in Scrooged, Gremlins 2, mm. Robocop 2. One episode of Tales from the Crypt, one episode of the Ray Bradbury Theater, one episode of Animaniacs, he's, which is with the Doc Stuffins of the early 90s. Doc McStuffins of the early 90s. He was in one episode of Deep Space Nine, three episodes of Dinosaurs. Here's a subplot of uh, like a subcategory. Here are all the things he's played the Riddler or Edward Nigma in. Whoa. Um, three episodes of Batman the Animated Series. The Adventures of Batman and Robin video game. One episode of Superman the Animated Series. One episode of The New Batman Adventures. Uh, and then he was in Batman and Robin. As a character named Dr. Jason Woodrue, which is not the movie with Riddler, and he does not play the Riddler. So right. uh, he was in one episode of Heroes, one episode of Medium. Then most famously, he played Lionel Luther. Lex Luthor's dad in 145 episodes of Smallville. Um, he was in Shazam, 
sorry, had an exclamation point. Hold on. Shazam! Again, he's not Gomer oh. Pyle, but uh, he was in that movie. Uh, he was in one episode of Lucifer, four episodes of Fear of the Walking Dead, and he played the Grand Zen in Fatal Influence, Like, Follow, Survive, which is the title of the week, uh, Like, Follow, That's Survive. That's a wild name, for sure. And he, yeah, he's pretty intense. It's, yeah. Uh, he is from Salisbury, Maryland, and he went to Tufts oh. University. Cool. So, yeah. yeah. I know the um, area. All right. And then Salisbury University is, or Salisbury, Maryland is also where the Purdue uh, headquarters is, and I work for Purdue too. My first note is that I want to talk about. I had to go back because I was like, wait, did I just see this happen? She asks Peggy for a pen, which makes Peggy take her purse from where it's next to her on the bench where she's sitting at the cafe and put it up on the table to look through for a pen. Then she accidentally knocks it on the floor to get the key out. It is the most natural. Like I'd never thought before about like, huh, she did that three step, like in three steps. Like she got her to put the purse up in a natural, like it, it's, it's right. just amazing. And then, right. as a secondary note to that, uh, the change on Bridget Regan's face as she go from goes from perky Dottie to deadly Dottie oh, is just really, really incredible. good. Like, yeah, very good yeah. acting. Yeah, she's friend I mean, of the she show, is, Bridget Regan. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, she hey, she knows of the show, so true. Uh, but no, she she is a like acting powerhouse in this she, yeah, in this series. Sure. I feel like for um, sure, she does a lot of like really good like. I don't know what the word for it is, but like maybe it's like robotic mm-hmm. or like it's that thing of, you know, there is kind of a mask there. And like occasionally you see like that small crack, you know, it's almost like, I mean, again, like I said, robotic earlier, it's like there are times where it does take a second to compute. Yeah. Right. And what's sure. interesting is that eventually we get to a point, especially when she can just be her. Right. She no, she no longer has to do that. But there's just a, since I that, left the car. What was that? In the in the oh, next yes. episode, so I, there has been a change of plans. Just since I left the car. Yes. Yeah, that's such a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, but like it's that. There's a fascinating thing of like it's like she has a like a rolodex in her brain or whatever mm-hmm. of all of the things that she's been taught, you know, or like you know when it's like she's also compartmentalizing all the information and yeah. she's going, how can I use that to my advantage? And then she just kind of. The way that, like, for example, in, I think it's the next, like, okay, because we've recorded some stuff out of order. Yeah. It's either in the next one or maybe the previous one that we just saw. I think it's, I think it's the one we just saw uh, okay. in between the things that we've recorded together where she recognizes that Angie and uh, uh, Peggy have sort of had a small brief argument. Mm-hmm. And you see her take a second before she addresses something. Yeah. Where it's very clearly of like, okay, these two mean something to each other. Yeah. And these, this is like, this is the dyna- the dynamic, like, how can I, okay. And then she says something. It's yeah. very, it's very cool. And it's like such a good way of showing before like the full reveal, if you haven't made certain connections yet, of right. like something's not quite right here, but you can't place it. Like she does that perfectly. Right. And like, I saw recently some, some talk, I think it was on TikTok about uh, a, crit- a critique of Captain Marvel where 
Brie Larson played the character like really wooden and one note. And how the idea is, yeah, because this character has been, you know, we'll get to her at the end of 2023, but like brainwashed and told that emotions are bad. And like you have to be wooden and one note. And it feels a little bit sort of like that, too, where it's like. I'm gathering data and so I'm not going to be having a personality for a sec because I'm gathering data and like, right. But then, you know, other times she's playing the role just perfectly sort of a little bit as we're going to see uh, later. Um, Natasha plays the role with, uh, with Stark in Iron Man two, where she's like, oh, I'm just this ditzy, whatever. Oh, I, oops, I accidentally kicked your ass. Like, um, yeah. Right. Yeah. So let's learn some stuff. Ready? Let's do. So Peggy and Jarvis have an argument where they basically like, no, you are demeaned by your employer. No, you are. And so then uh, Peggy leaves by saying, saying basically over her shoulder, tell it to the Marines. And I was like, I've heard that before. It's in a Little Shop of Horror song, uh, which is how I know it. But uh, it's a famous phrase. And I was like, I've never really looked into what it means. And so here is what it means. Um, the earliest published use of the phrase is in 1804, which baffled me, in John Davis's novel, The Post Captain, or The Wooden Walls of Well-Manned, Comprehending a View of Naval Society and Manners. Like, The Post Captain is just fine, my dude, just, it's fine. Right, that's a good, that's just a like, good title. Yeah, like, I know I'm not one to, like, cut off a long title, but, like, come on, you got a semicolon in there, man. Um... And here's the quote. <laughs> you may tell that to the Marines. May I be damned if the sailors will believe it. And several similar shorter phrases in speeches by characters. Uh, so just real quick, tell it to the Marines is literally, and Colin, I know I've, I've templated a bunch of stuff like this before in the past, but I mean this when I say tell it to the Marines is literally 1940s version of talk to the hand. That rolls. It is literally tell it to the Marines That's because the yeah. sailors aren't listening. Eventually, people just said tell it to the Marines, but by which they are shorthanding tell it to the Marines because the sailors aren't listening. Yeah. Um. So let's see. Uh, Davis was a veteran of the Navy. The original meaning of the phrase is pejorative to the Marines, implying that they are gullible. In America, this is classic America. The phrase, while still retaining its original use and meaning, also acquired a second meaning, which is this. And if you're about to say, after I read this, that seems like the opposite. Yeah, it does. If there's a wrong to be avenged, tell the Marines because they will do something about it, is what tell it to the Marines <laughs> also came to mean in America. Yeah. Yeah, that, this is why that is the no opposite. one likes us. So uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, heard of him, used the phrase during one of his wartime fireside chats on February 23rd, 1942. Referring to Axis propaganda doubting this, the American will to fight, he said this. Ever since the nation became the arsenal of democracy. Ugh. Arsenal of democracy is such a George W. Bush thing to say, Frank and Donald Roosevelt. Um, ever since enactment of Lend-Lease, there has been one persistent theme through all Axis propaganda. The theme has been that Americans are admittedly rich, said the rich president, and right. that Americans have considerable industrial power but that Americans are soft and decadent, that they cannot and will not unite and work and fight. From Berlin, Rome, and Tokyo, we have been described as a nation of weaklings, playboys, 
who would hire British soldiers or Russian soldiers or Chinese soldiers to do our fighting for us. Let them repeat that now. Let them tell that to the general, to General MacArthur and his men. Let them tell that to the sailors who today are hitting hard in the far waters of the Pacific. Let them tell that to the boys in the flying fortresses. Let them tell that to the Marines. It's a good speech. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's for the, yeah. I mean, you know, it, you, it is war propaganda. He's right. using the phrase wrong. And I mean, war propaganda in defense of being war propaganda at, I don't know, we could, anyways. I mean, we're, we're, we're splitting yeah. war propaganda hairs. Exactly. Here, Classic us. Um, Classic us so, talking about war propaganda. Peggy gets to, we're the best at uh, war propaganda. We have the arsenal of democracy of war propaganda. Um, so Peggy gets to work and uh, Sousa tells her that they have a cryptologist in from Ar- Arlington Hall. And I was like, what is that? So basically, you might be saying, is that like like Bletchley Park, but in America? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay. That's <laughs> okay, what it great. is. Good job. Um, it's ba- like uh, Bletchley Park also did uh, uh, Navy co- naval codes, but basically, yeah. Um, so basically, Arlington Hall is like a worse Bletchley um but basically you know it's the same it's sort of in america and uh i will say that after world war ii the russian section of arlington hall expanded um work on diplomatic messages benefited from additional technical personnel and new analysts basically you know it's so funny because the russians were our allies and then basically in the nuremberg trials we basically were like yeah you nazis suck and also the russians so anyways you nazis for sure suck the russians and then all of a sudden we were like in this thing against the Russians who were like, our, it was like if I like betrayed Colin all of a what? sudden. Right. Which I would never do. All of a sudden. Mike. <laughs> Mike, let's betray Colin. Um, so yeah, but Arlington Hall is basically, he's up from. They're the doctor. They're the doctor perky. Right. Compared they're the, to they're the, the doctor. You know, evil Mr. Pibb. Um, mm, yeah. <laughs> I like the suggestion that Mr. Pibb isn't already evil. Right. He de- right, exactly. Right. He couldn't even get his doctorate in soda. Exactly. Um I'm sure He's someone's made that joke before. Sodaology. Right. He's a physician, please. Physician? Yeah. Is that the is that already Yeah, that's that's yeah, the yeah. joke. Sorry, yeah. Cool. yeah. Yeah, I know, I just made it. <laughs> Wild. So um <laughs> yeah, yeah, good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. You got Thank it. Thank you. It. So Here's what I spend most of my day doing. Learning cryptology methods. And I'm going to tell you about two of them. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you about the first one, which took me more time. And it's the one that didn't work. Um, The Turing method. uh, Basically, go see the imitation game. And you'll have a pretty good understanding of it. Doctor Strange uh, does something in that movie, right? He is Turing. Mm Mm-hmm. He's the dude in that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I know. Alan Turing. Alan Turing, uh, yeah. So, um, Very famous famous robot that fooled everyone by making the test about can you tell someone's a robot. Um, Wow, I'm a computer scientist. You know this, right? uh, (laughs) I had to learn about Turing. Let me tell you about Alan Turing. Um, So (laughs) do you know computers? Turing Turing explaining. Do you know know ones and zeros? Let's start basic. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. Go but that's to, not basic. That's binary. I said, I got. I was trying to go. I know, but I I know you were going to start talking a basic line ten. Go to uh-huh. um, 
when I was a young man, I got Never to leave use school. Go-tos. Um, I got to go to a different, uh, like the middle school for my gifted and talented program to learn how to write in basic. I suppose that, yeah. I, I can write in basic too, above pH seven chemistry. So, um, all right. So Turing, the Turing method, which is also a name of a thing in math, but that's not what they're talking about here because the thing you also can call the Turing method in decryption is called Turingery. Which isn't, sounds actually. like a made up word. Yeah. Uh, how does Turingum, Turingismus uh, strike you? Does sound like a holiday. Uh, it's also another name for the, the Turing method. Basically, here's the deal. I think we should honestly have a holiday where, where, about Alan Turing, but that's a different discussion. That's, yeah. If you, if you can tell that someone is Santa by talking to them online, um, you can celebrate Turingismus. Um, so basically, okay. So the Germans had this had this code making device called the Enigma, and basically what it was was a bunch of of cogs and wheels and stuff that basically each time you pressed a key on the typewriter, it changed what key corresponded to what key. But there were two things that were well, there was one thing wrong with the system and one thing weird that the Germans did because they were under dictatorship. So the Enigma, the thing wrong with it is that. It would never have the letter be the letter that it was. So L would never be L. So if you saw an L, that was never going to correspond to L. And the other thing is that, uh, and this is what the imitation game really, really delivers incredibly well. It's like the one thing I remembered from that movie. It's a fine movie. Homophobia in Britain is a wild thing because of war heroes getting arrested for it. But basically all the Nazis signed all their stuff, Heil Hitler, and... Uh, as the imitation game tells it, that's basically what they used to break the code because they could see where the Heil Hitler goes. It's like, you know, right. I always sign all my emails love, um, except when I'm writing official ones and I remember not to change it like that. It's like, you know where the Heil Hitler... You remember not to change it? You, I remember... Oh my God! No, um, <laughs> I love I love the concept of being at work and you just get an email from James. It was like, love James. I'm like, it's I do love James though. It's funny because like I I send it as love as a little bit of a, like it's funny that I'm signing this love, but then when I get into an HR. official capacity, I'm like, I can't do that joke. But this is the time when the joke would work the best. <laughs> right. So what do right. I even do? And that's then don't send the email. Um. So basically, they could plug in. So the big thing of the imitation game is that they could they made a computer, basically. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things they did was when they figured out that Heil Hitler was in all these things, they could plug in from a given message. Okay, so this where so H is this whatever, and plug it in, and then turn on the computer. Turing on, the, that's nothing. Um, and it would give them like mm-hmm. basically okay. Well, if that's this, then each time you type a new thing, this will be what it is. And it worked. And because the Enigma is both used for coding and decoding, basically if you typed in the coded message, you get the thing it means and vice versa. You can use it to decode messages. Um, There's not a separate device or like a separate thing that you have to do to decode the device or the message. So that's the Turing method. Wildly, two things happen in this exchange with the cryptologist, Agent Carter. She says, uh, he says, I tried the Turing method and it's not that. So I don't know how you try the Turing method just as a dude. 
I'm not like I'm not sure. He sort of seems like you need to have some sort of a thing, but don't worry. That's the base. That's the base level of how wild it's about to get. Because she says, well, it looks like a one pad system, one time pad system, and he's like, of course I tried one time pad system, and she's like, did you try it knowing that they would be talking in Russian? And he's like, crap. And then that's basically all we see of that guy ever again because he for sure got fired or sent to, you know. Oh, absolutely. Antarctica or whatever. Here's what the one-time pad system is. I want to send a code to Mike. Okay. So I give Mike, like when we meet for lunch, a pad of paper that on each page is a series of letters that is always going to be longer or as long as the message I'm trying to send. They are randomly selected letters. You really got to have them be randomly selected. There's a whole thing in the Wikipedia article about like, but what is randomness really? (laughs) Um, So Mike has this thing. And so I send a message that's like, hey, on November 14th, 2022, when I send you a message, use page 14. I have page 14. Mike has page 14. He flips to 14. I send him a message that looks like gibberish. But when you put it, basically you put all the letters together and you use that standard like A is one, B is two, whatever. Right. And you add the letters on the pad and the letters in the code together and you get what it says. And if you get more than 26, you go around. So like if you get 30, that's D because it's A, B, C, D, four over. And then... I, so then I send him a coded message like that, and he gets the coded message, and he subtracts it and gets the message that I meant. So we use the one pad, whatever. So again, Peggy just sits down. She doesn't even sit down. She just bend, she you know leans over the table <laughs> and decodes this thing. She doesn't have the pad. Um, the idea of the one-time pad thing is that you have to have the pad or else. The cool thing about it is if I was to say later or hello, or circus, or anything with the same letters, there's no way to tell which one it is. Because it's all random. Even if you can't look for like repeated letters, because that's all random. Right. You know, hello won't be like something, something, the two of the same thing, and then something. Like, it's completely whatever. You can't do what she did. Therefore, Peggy's superpower is that she can decrypt stuff like that. So... That's fair. There is a you've, goof. You've made a persuasive argument. Thanks. Yeah. There's no way. There's no way in in several different ways that we can uh, have gotten to where we are, but we have. So uh, the goof I'm going to read in perfect uh, as it was written. It says a one-time pad can't be cracked unless the users ignore the one-time bit and keep using the same pad for multiple messages. Which, as we've seen, the Nazis did do stuff like that, where they just used the same thing over and over again, and that was how we beat them in other ways. But right. she doesn't have a pad to work with at all. If we always use page 14 and Colin got a hold of page 14, yeah, our code's broken. And I'm pretty sure that's part of the plot of Mission Impossible 1. But without the pad, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter how many times you use page 14. Right. It's still indecipherable. Anyways. Unless you've uh, like somehow managed to memorize that. But I feel like that's right. impossible. Even then, unless you have memorized every letter on the pad, you can't decode it in your head. Nor could you rec- recognize, say, map coordinates in the ciphertext. Like, right. it's in the, right, exactly. Um, 
it says even if you have the the relevant pad like <laughs> anyways because you don't know what page it's on because like it's it's a good system unless you the pad falls in the wrong hands so right. right is that where the mistakes of of this code breaking stop also uh this typewriter has never sent code coded messages before and maybe the maybe Demonoff took out the you know plug-in that decodes it as it receives the message or whatever but like all of a sudden that should be i guess we haven't seen we haven't they haven't seen a message come in that wasn't coded but it's like clear to us that like someone knows that the ssr is looking at it because they've suddenly started coding things anyways i I think i was gonna say i I think that's definitely it right because like Mm -hmm. we'll get to it but like for example to say also it's it's this message right where they mentioned Stark, right? Correct. Right. Yes. That's the other thing is that I think that that is definitely should be a indicator that they know they're being like listened and, to. And, yeah, and it is for Peggy, right. and it is for Dum Dum, and it is for no one else. Correct. Like, yeah. Um. So Peggy gets the coordinates, which she gets fifty three degrees seventy two minutes north, twenty seven degrees thirty seven minutes west, and the first thing is. 72 minutes north i think what you mean is 54 degrees uh 12 minutes north because 72 minutes is nothing like that'd be like if i said it's <laughs> the time is currently 3 80 you know you're like you, that's not the, that's not how time more time works um also uh 27 degrees 37 minutes west puts you in the middle of the ocean so somewhere along the way, uh, west got changed from east, which east puts you where they're saying you need to go. But west is not anything. West is the middle of the of like the the Atlantic Ocean or something like that. Um, so what it should have said was fifty four degrees twelve minutes north and twenty seven degrees thirty seven minutes east. But. Wow. Susa figures all of that stuff out and says, so they're in Minsk in the uh, the forest, which I had all the stuff open for and then didn't write down the thing. Um, let's see. Some other goofs are uh, basically the way we say longitude and latitude is based on prime meridian in England, which mm-hmm. of course isn't how the Russians did it. They had it going through Red, Red Square, so their longitude and latitudes... And our longitudes and latitudes are different numbers. Um, unless, of course, they're sure. going through Prime Meridian, which presumably, I guess, they would be because they're communicating with so the West. But they're also the... setting a trap, right? Right. But see, they're also setting a trap, so they're going to want to make it easy and acceptable. Oh, because if you right. do the, the longitude and latitude situation as written, but from where Russia would have it, would it bring you to the right spot? No. Nope. No. It's the, it's it's literally west is wrong, east is right, with all the numbers the same. Um, but also not seventy two. You're talking about going right, like what, right, and and when you right, and I think most like GPSs now are like okay, yeah, seventy got it. Uh, somehow I got to Minsk putting it in anyway. I guess I put in a negative or a positive number somewhere that like negated the problem. Anyways, just lucked into it. Maybe that's how Susa did it. Um, the other thing is, uh, the team keeps saying Belarus, but in 1946, uh, no one called it Belarus outside of Russia. Now, we could say, okay, well, Peggy is like, 
they're all sort of in what, this what like we, we we're world travelers and whatever. Um, you would call it Russia or White Russia, which is what um so Belarusia is what it is in in Russian, which is White Russia, but. In 1946, you would have said white Russia, but like, let's all say, let's all agree that in 2015 on an American television program, we just said Belarus and didn't have right. to deal with, let's go to a white right. Russia, like right. for any number. As if Russia is Norway. Right. Am I right, guys? Shout out to all my, anyways. Uh, K- I wrote- KG Brothers, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. What? Yeah, no, like I like KGB. that. I like that. Yeah, KGB. The K- KGB. Yeah, that. Yep. Yeah, yes. Sure. Okay. <laughs> um. G B. All right. So uh, I said this message is what fixes this season in time, because it says April twenty seventh, and because Thompson says, "Hey, that's less than two days from now." Because Thompson repeatedly, yeah, does time checks, and I love him for it. He keeps <laughs> being like, "Wait, what is the exact date today?" Yeah. <laughs> Like, you know what it is? I think he might have amnesia. <laughs> In this season as well as the next one, I forget. Um, and he's like, and he's like, uh, oh yeah, no, totally. And our president right now is definitely like Frank waiting for them Lynn, to respond. True, Dwight uh, Reagan, Obama. No, we're not there yet. Right? Uh, okay, yep. Boys, a lot of white guys. Um, I like that Dooley has heard of Leviathan. It makes it feel a lot less like Peggy. Why are you making up this mysterious organization for Dooley to be like, "Oh yeah, I know those guys. I've heard of them. They do they do this bad stuff." I, you know, we talked about this before as well, but like, I feel like that's the other thing is that like there are times where this show, because again, like it's a little bit of um, there, is, it's a science based place, right? But you have people who are agents going out mm-hmm. in the field. So it gets a little copy at times, mm. but also at the same time, you are a central intelligence, essentially, you know, type right. situation. Like right. you have to know what's happening in the, like in the world to be doing like subterfuge and stuff like that. So like it, in a way it, it, it makes total sense that he would know that. Cause if he didn't, I feel like I'd be like, Hey, you're in charge of this and you don't come on. Like, right. come on. Yeah. This is what you're supposed to be yeah, doing. Like, for sure. Listen, buddy, you're sleeping on the job. Right. Come on. And he's right. like, no, I'm sleeping in the car with my my ride or die, Jack Thompson. Um, remember last time when he was sleeping <laughs> yeah, in the car? When he was sleeping in the car. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So to show that he doesn't get a lot of sleep. Exactly. <laughs> if you know what I mean, he works hard and he plays hard. What? Oh, okay. What? All right. Oh. So uh, and, and he what's that now? Um, <laughs> investigates <laughs> hard. If, if you take my meaning. Yeah. Um. This is, but what I'm about to say is the is the funniest. Like, no, someone should have done this research thing, and I'm going to say on the show. And if you've been listening, listener, or if you're just joining us now because you are a chaotic individual who starts podcasts in the middle <laughs> or towards the end of them, um, you know that's saying something. So during the discussion in Dooley's office, when Carter has gone to go for sure get her buddies, the heroes, to uh, join them on this mission, um. When Thompson finishes laughing and uh, Dooley finishes getting jealous, um, or I guess right before Dooley is is gonna lay the hammer down on on Thompson, um, he says he's been getting the calls from the vice president at home, right? Mm-hmm. What I'm about to say sounds like it's made up, but in 1946, there was no vice president. 
There wasn't a vice president until Truman what? got reelected in 1949. Franklin Delano Roosevelt died in 1945. Truman became president. And we and didn't just, have that line of succession in there yet where everyone. And he, they, he just, they didn't have to do that yet. That's huh. fascinating. There just was no vice president. So wild thing to randomly have been like, I'm getting calls from the vice president who is, I mean, you know, and of course, as we always do in the MCU, in, in the MCU, there is one. It's, you know. Okay, hang on. Agent can Marvel's. I throw can I throw someone out there? Yeah. Do you think that because he didn't vote for for them, like for their ticket, do you think that he refuses to recognize him as the president as calling him the vice president? <laughs> like it's a fucking <laughs> sick burn. It's like, yeah, I'm getting what? phone calls from the vice president. He's but what he's a, like an FDR. What a like, wild fan. cold yeah. shot. Yeah, he's he's like what a not my wild cold shot. Yeah, you know, like that's his that's his not my president. Wait, 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 wait. Roger Dooley is Dewey or die, Dewey or die. All right, thanks so much for joining us on this. No kidding. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> Dewey. <laughs> or die. All right, so uh, yeah, so that is wild that um, there's a three year period where we didn't have a vice president, and that's where this show that's takes insane. place. Um. I loved that Jack shut Ramirez down. Ramirez like, oh, but well, she's a girl. She's going to. And Jack's like, those are the orders. Shut up. I was like, I mean, at least like he keeps his like. Right. He's not like griping to the to the, you know, pe- people low, of lower rank than him. Like, he's not mm-hmm. like, I know. I mean, he's like, I, you know, I tried They're like, oh, but hey, come on. He's like, no, this is it. Leave it be. And then he brings wins them back by doing a hilarious prank where um, right, people's right. stuff get exposed. However, one could say that he moves the investigation along like if it wasn't for that horrible prank that he pulled where it was sort of like a consent thing and like, a, you know, revealing body stuff that Peggy right. didn't want, uh, the investigation would have uh, stalled out. Of course, it's it was nothing investigation. So, like, I guess it might have been, might have been OK. Um so Peggy says bloody Nora when Sousa sees her. And I thought I'm going to look up bloody Nora, but what I'm going to find is only agent Carter stuff because surely that's just them writing British stuff. Now this is an actual men's Uh, there was a British equivalent of Quora question about it. And I wrote down two of them. I'm only going to say the shorter one that makes more sense and not the longer one that doesn't, that seems the most made up thing I've ever read. Um, so here's <laughs> here's what here's what they said. Uh, Nora is not a woman's name, but a form of the word horror. The phrase started off as flaming horror or flipping horror or bloody horror or whatever as a cry of dismay or disbelief. In the normal Cockney manner, the final G and the opening H were dropped to produce something that sounded like flame and horror, and that in turn over the years became flame and Nora. Or bloody Nora as a stronger alternative. I'm like, yep, accents checks out. Wow. Yeah. Instead yeah, of that does check out the thing that starts. I'm just gonna read the first couple of words. Bloody Nora was originally called Nora and the maid for the wealthy Duke Waddingtonshire in the 17th century. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm like, British <laughs> That's people are so funny. British. It hurts. Yeah. It hurts. Sometimes people are dry in Britain, and sometimes people are not. They are very, very goofy. 
So, oh, watch this then. If you're in America, all you want is your guns. Anyway, I'm going to go have some spotted dick as Mr. Paddington Barrington Shires for Ford. <laughs> like, that's, come on. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks yeah. all the British listeners that stick, definitely were just like, what the fuck was that, dude? Colin just took on and Nick Bramald. Yeah. <laughs> Colin just took on an entire Shit. accent. Yeah, so sorry, Nick Bramald. I I don't know what came up with me. <laughs> well, see, that's Bramald, the thing, like, though, right? Blame, Nick Bramald is like a cool guy. He's like, what's up, bruv? And like, yeah. Yeah. Nick Nick Bramald, yeah? That right? British rapper Isn't can't it? think of more words that rhyme with bruv. Um, <laughs> that's, a, such, that's hard times, right? I think so. Yeah, God, that's such a good one. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> all right, so the Navy Cross, real quick. Here's what you need to do to get the Navy Cross, okay? It's not, uh, it says, Navy Cross may be awarded to any member of the U.S. Armed Forces while serving with the Navy, Marine Corps, or Coast Guard when it was a depart- part of the Department of the Navy, who, is distinct- who distinguishes themselves in action by extraordinary heroism, not justifying an award of the Medal of Honor. So it's like the B of good job, you did a good military. The action must take place under one of three circumstances. One, in combat action while engaged against an enemy of the United States. Or, two, in combat action while engaged in military operations involving conflict with an opposing foreign force. Or, three, in combat action while serving with friendly foreign forces. Friendly foreign forces. Three Fs. Who are engaged in armed conflict in which the United States is not a belligerent party. I think that that's that uh, Thompson fulfilled number one, or at least Thompson's story fulfilled number one. Whew. All right. Uh, Thompson was on Sukin Island, which is called Sukinjima. The Battle of Okinawa started there. There were people, you know, it was a it was definitely a place where there would have been American troops. Right. Um, you know, we won. Yay. Uh, and then uh, the last thing I have before in the comics is that actors Kenneth Choi and Derek Luke, who you'll remember as Marita and Gabe Jones in Captain mm-hmm. America the First Avenger, were willing to reprise the roles of Howling Commandos, Jim Marita and Gabe Jones. I tried I pulled those names out of my head and they were written down there on the page. That's classic James. Uh, but were ultimately unable because unable to because of scheduling conflicts. Which sucks. Like, it sucks that, like, yeah. that, that's their, you know, like, especially because, like, I wish there were scenes where Gabe Jones and Happy Sam Sawyer were on screen at the same time. Yeah. So it's not like, wait, they changed the black one. Like, it right. feels gross to right. do that. Like, you know, anyways. All right. So now I'd like to move swiftly into um, in the comics if I can. Is that cool with everyone? Does anyone That's have anything? Fine, yeah. I think I would think I, I think you I would prefer right. it. Happy Sam Sawyer, first appearance, Sergeant Fury number one, March nineteen sixty-three, death, Captain America number two seventy-four, June nineteen eighty-two. Um, Happy Sam Sawyer was trained in parachuting in Britain in nineteen forty by Finley's Flying Circus, that comprised Daredevil parachutist Nick Fury and pilot Red Hargrave, where they nicknamed him Happy Sam due to his seriousness. It's a Little John thing. It's hilarious. We love when people do that. <laughs> it's very good. Um, that's why they call me Tiny. <laughs> I don't. I have asked them not to. In 1942, <laughs> uh, Sawyer, who had been wounded in North Africa, was deemed unfit for combat missions, organized and commanded the Howling Commandos, Bull McGivney's Maulers, Jim Morita's Nice Squad, and 
Sergeant Bob Jenkins, Missouri Marauders, as well as the Deadly Dozen. I don't know if that was simultaneously while he was on like bed rest. He was on like the disabled list and and commanding like seven squadrons. I don't know. Um, he died basically saving um, Sergeant Fury and and Captain America and stuff from an LMD of himself, which is a, a weird way to go. Um, Junior Juniper, whose name was Jonathan Junior Juniper Jameson. No, it's not Jameson. Um, his first appearance was Sergeant Fury number one, March 1963. He died in Sergeant Fury number four in September 1963. <laughs> Sucks. Um, he attended people an Ivy. They did not like that character. They did not. People with three J's in their name? Uh-uh. Not in my no, comic thank books. you. They said in April or March 1963. And Stanley's like, I'm going to make them like a Triple J name if it kills me. And the Australian radio station's like, yeah. Um, He went to an Ivy League school. After Pearl Harbor, he joined the Army and became a gunner in the Army Air Services. During that period of service, he downed at least 10 German planes. Apparently, this is a wild thing in in the Marvel Wikipedia. Apparently, lacking enough excitement and danger in his life, he volunteered for commando training. That has to be something from the comics. Um... His record brought him to the attention of Captain Sam Sawyer. They did not call him Happy Sam Sawyer here, who assigned him to Sergeant Nick Fury's first assault team of Company A. On their first mission, the commandos felt they were outmatched by an entire base of German soldiers. Juniper, inspired by the biblical tale of Gideon, had the idea of stealing a truck with loudspeakers and using it to make their force sound larger than it really was. The ruse worked and earned them the name The Howling Commandos. On his last mission oh. into Berlin itself, he helped capture Lord. This is very serious. This is his last mission. He's about to get killed. He helped command. Okay. He helped capture Lord Haha. No, a British traitor and Nazi propagandist. British. Yeah, he's a British traitor. Ah! Lord Haha, ha. but like stiff upper lip, old chap. Ha ha. ha, ha. Lord Haha. Lord Haha. <laughs> It stands for Harrington Hammersmith, but they don't call me that. It's, it's actually Haha Shire. It's just that the <laughs> Shire is silent. <laughs> the Shireland Shire. Um, while the commandos waited in a house for a submarine to take them back to England, a column of pa- Panzer tanks appeared. Haha escaped and alerted the soldiers who shot him and began firing at the house. Rather than wait for the shells to kill them, the commandos charged the tanks. Juniper took a bullet and died almost instantly. Juniper's death like- had a profound effect on the Howling Commandos. Much later, Fury named Juniper as one of the six best friends he had ever had, which is wow. how I don't want to be remembered in Boy. such a qualifying way. That's so sad. He's in one of the seven ways. or eight best friends I ever had. He, well, he was just creating the first top eight, basically, before right, MySpace right, happened. Exactly. Um, Tom I just want to say that I think it's fucking buck wild that the person that basically got them their namesake, they immediately kill off. Because yeah. they're like, we can't be paying this character, you know, like rights to this name. Right. If we kill him now, it'll be done. <laughs> what You know what? What's We got a better name. Lord Ha Ha. That's the character <laughs> yeah, here. Ha-ha. We got solid names. You know what? Happy I Sam think- Sawyer. Lord Haho never laughs. <laughs> I think that was also a little bit of like their nod to the fact they knew they were about to kill this guy. They were like, ha, 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 we're going to kill this guy. 
Lord Haha, ha, you're dead. You know that Green Day song? No one does. Yeah. Haha, ha, you're dead. Um. <clears throat> All right. Uh, Pinky Pinkerton, first appearance, Sergeant Sergeant Fury number eight. Uh, this is the Fallsworth, but apparently Fallsworth has become a vampire at this point and can't be the Brit- the token British uh, person in this squadron anymore. Uh, Sergeant Fury number eight, May nineteen sixty four. His death was in Secret Warriors nineteen, August two thousand ten. Secret Warriors, as you'll remember, is where lots of Howling Commandos get killed in just horrible ways, just like the worst ways. So. I didn't look it up because I didn't want to read another decapitation story. Uh, his name is Percival Pinkerton because he's English. He attended some of the finest military academies in the United Kingdom as a young man to follow his family's expectations that he become a fine military officer. However, he became bored of the military and spent his time womanizing and partying. Remember that he was womanizing and partying because that's going to come into play later when uh, we have to uh, erase some bisexuality here. Um, he fell behind in his studies and was eventually asked for his resignation. His older brother, Reginald, remained at the academy, and Percival, but Percival left his family ashamed to face them again. He partied so hard, he got kicked out. He kicked himself out of his own family. When World War II broke out, Percival enlisted and became a, a commando at the rank of private. Percival was sent to the Howling Commandos as a replacement for the deceased member, Jonathan Jr. Juniper. Juniper, never mind. Juniper walked so that P- Pinky Pinkerton could run, but unfortunately, Junior Juniper walked um, into a into a bullet. Yeah. <laughs> Although they were initially skeptical, if Percy had the makings of a howler, he quickly proved bullet. himself on their mission to stop Baron Heinrich Zemo, who had created a death ray. Percy continued to serve the howlers with distinction for the remainder of the war. Um. I think he he died of, oh you know what. This is the guy that that died of cancer. Like he he like he just like he died with a, a Dugan holding his hand of cancer. He was afraid of being alone, but like it wasn't like a vicious death or whatever. It was just you know, it was still a horrifying death. But like anyways. But the horrifying in the mundane. Right, horrifying in the, like, this could actually happen to you, uh, you know, count your days, you could wake up dead tomorrow. Um, Stanley stated that part, Percival... Comics. Comics. Uh, well, good night. Uh, Stanley stated <laughs> that Percival is gay in an interview with On the Media, uh, and that would make him the first gay character, um, which uh, next episode you're going to hear me claim that he is the first gay character. I hadn't done research because this is Avengers Ensemble for it now. We'll get to it later. Um, But this person says, this is contradicted. This person says, um, not understanding that bisexuality exists, by Percival's backstory written by Lee himself where he was portrayed as a skirt chaser. First of all, lots of people can wear skirts. Second of all, lots of people can like men and women and anyone in between. Comics. And I also must say, during that time period... Also, was could have been very much that situation of I have to fit in with the guys, right? You know, and like you know, to like I'm the most skirt chasery, right? John, that no one would suspect that you know, because back then they were still not being cool about exactly. We're still not very cool about it. Exactly. I I like how we look. It's they weren't cool in the past. Wait, also now, right? Oh, hey, look, Rick Ramirez is an Agent Carter original. However. 
Greg Serrano is married to Carmen Serrano, who plays Marvel Cinematic Universe character Alice Hernandez, who is Molly's mom in the Mar- in the Hulu series Marvel's Runaways. I put Didn't it in you? the in the comics thing oh, because okay. it was in okay. was like, Marvel got, Wiki and not. I the, got confused. Yeah. Did I, I did I glitch? I was like. That has to have been from this episode or somehow yeah. the last episode because I've heard this because sentence. Heard yeah, this. remember when I said I'd, I'd put it somewhere um, and I didn't know where? Sure. Yeah. It was the only other place I mentioned the character. And uh, <laughs> Mike Lee is an Agent Carter original. And finally, when deciding which new members of the Howling Commandos to introduce, writer Jose Molina jumped at the chance to introduce the first gay comic book-based character into the MCU in the, fa- in the form, I almost said in the farm, in the form of Pinky Pinkerton. Jose Molina treated this as this is the first gay character. It's cool to include him in this and have him be like in this thing. Sure. Good job, Jose Molina. Your uncle Alfred is proud. So this is a guest gen and host gen. Uh, that's an Alfred Molina reference because he was Doc Dot. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah, no, I, was, I know. I was laughing silently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is part one. Who would you okay. say you revere? as highly as Thompson, Lee, and Ramirez revere the HC. Colin. <laughs> I thought you were going to go to Mike first. Uh, but we're going to go with Barbara like, Dunkelman if you don't. If you don't I mean, that's <laughs> probably not a bad yeah. answer. Okay. I mean, like, listen, I'll be very, very brief about this. I understand that, like, you know, criticisms can happen of a larger entity, but I think that there's, you know, good, fine people, no matter where Perfect. you look. Um, well, within reason. Sure. Um, but, like, I, I, there's quite a few people that I would say that I kind of feel very much like this. And sometimes, like, I mean, some of them are also people that we've talked about on this show before. Like, sure. you know, Eric someone th- recently in an episode that came out not long before this episode that we're recording. Though, quite a while ago by the time you hear this. Sure. Um, you know, Blink-22. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I hold them and like you know and matt skiba and stuff like that like i hold them in pretty high esteem um whereas i feel like maybe you're i don't know what to what to say like your average person who probably feels like maybe they've quote unquote moved on from that i don't know whatever sure um i don't know but i mean like barbara dunkelman for sure okay. trevor collins blizz baron a, a cherry-picked selection of rooster teeth people uh well and also some people from their external community as well okay. like jackie okay. butler cool. and stuff like that cool okay uh, hang on to that answer for part two. Mike, do you have, right. I, I have, again, I have, a, if if we are gonna, if we can't come up with anything, I think we can come we up know. with something pretty easily, but like, yeah. I think I know exactly what my answer is, and I think I know everybody's thought of what my answer Barbara is. It Dunkelman. is weird how oh, you think of it. Yep. I nailed it. Damn, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, if, if, like, legitimately as part of our, uh, so, I don't, I don't think, so, on on my regular podcast, Good Morning Greendale, we did a weird uh, episode, mm-hmm. just about weird, because we wanted to take a break from Community. So we we talked about weird the Al Yankovic story, mm-hmm. and in that, it's just like it, we we even joked about oh, and Al is on the Zoom, and I'm like, I would just die, yeah. like d- legitimately, immediately die. Yeah. So. For sure. Okay. Weird Al. If if Weird Al was like, yeah, that Mike from Good Morning Greendale, he's pretty cool. I think it would be it would mean the world to me. Right. Okay. Cool. It's interesting that you said that. Um. So Mike, we're gonna start with you. Oh. For part two. Okay. But Colin, um, be thinking about your answer too. 
Let's say okay. I'm buds with the answer to part one. So let's say I'm buds with okay. Leo Yankovic. Okay. They think I'm. I'm surprised you've kept this from me for so long, but okay. They think I'm cool as hell. Well, you are. I give you the opportunity to flex a little and impress them. What story do you tell? Oh my god. Oh my lord. I think. I think. Oh god. Okay. All right. Okay. 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 I get to tell a story to Weird Al. Oh god. Oh no. Okay. This question is going because exactly I, as I hoped. Oh wow. Okay. All right. Okay. So I guess I guess the best thing that I can do that shows that I'm cool is that uh as part of my uh my previous job, I ended up writing a a parody of Hey Jude um with with a uh, signifier for the company that I was working at. Um and recorded it with a backing track from a karaoke because I don't know much of that. And then used that audio in front of a video as kind of like a team. Like, this is our team and this is the cool stuff that we're doing. Um, and it was and everybody loved it. Um, and it was a parody song that I wrote and created um and uh re- recorded and everybody seemed to like it so i'm i'm i guess that's that's mine he's like wow you're really cool that was a, and that then was a weird i die impression. yeah yeah and then i die because weird al thinks i'm cool yeah yeah cool well g- and, and, and not only not only do i die but i like i lift out of my body being like that's that's all i yep. needed to do here on earth and i just Descend to heaven, uh-huh. ascend to heaven. You descend and then whatever direction bounce heaven back is up. Right to, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whichever direction. Uh, here's how I tee that up, Mike. Uh, you know, Weird Al's written a lot of parody songs. Have you ever written a parody song? And then I look at you very mm-hmm. meaningfully. Like I don't know what you're talking about. Oh God. Oh right, right. Yes, of course. But dum but dum. Another one throws me under the bus. Colin, what is your answer? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, so I guess like to no sort of hone in specifically, because I feel like I gave quite a few answers. Sure. Um, Barbara like Duncan and Blink-Ray to walk into a room. And- right. No, but I mean, I was thinking about this too, right? Of like, okay, what stories do I have? Because I was like, okay, maybe I pull an audible, haha, and I say Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills, right? And I oh, have okay. some sort of story about that. But I was like, I don't really have any football stories that are impressive about me. You know what I mean? Um, so it's like- I played Madden so that, this one time? Right. Yeah, uh, that's true. I think that my story for like people like, you know, BK, Blizz, uh, Barbara Dunkelman, all bees, interesting. Um, huh. Trevor Collins. Trevor I feel like a lot of this is about like the their entertainment quality, right? Right. And the uh, the ability to commit to a bit. Mm-hmm. I think one of the strongest things I think I've ever done in terms of committing to a bit and just being like, I'm going to put myself out there fully. Uh, when I was in high school, I was doing, you know, theater and stuff like that. And I did every single show uh, during my time there. And the show during the fall of my junior year uh, was Little Shop of Horrors. And I played Mr. Mushnick. And so I told one person only. Well, that's not true. I guess I also told the, the principal of the school because I had to get permission to do this. I had to get permission to be able to wear a hat in school uh because for a couple of days um my head looked a little different i shaved only the top of my head uh and i left the sides you you pulled a robot 
kind of. It's like what my dad calls the reverse mohawk because that's what sure. his hair looks like. He's bald on top, but still has all of his sides. No hawk. Um, what's that? A no hawk. Yeah. Okay. There you go. A no hawk. <laughs> that's good. I like um, that. And uh, and so I did that to show that like I was an old man, and it was to the thing where not only did I do that, but I had an accent the entire time, and so. like people were watching this thing and had known that I was in the show and stuff like that, but still went, who the hell is that? Yeah. Like people like consider. And the the way that we did this too, was that we did this, like I I did do it the day of the tech or like the final dress rehearsal. Cause we didn't want to do this live on stage because it did derail things a little bit. When I have a newspaper in front of my face and Seymour, the guy who played Seymour rather, uh, Matt Summers walked out on the stage really. and he said something to me and I put down the paper and he actively went I, like he did like a triple take and completely fell out of character and went uh, and then got the line out. But was like, oh, my like clearly had a moment of, oh, my God, I cannot believe you've done this. Like, like, <laughs> but not like in an angry way it was just like what an amazing the committing to the bit way. like uh, my when, favorite when as shaved their mustache. Yes, correct. Um, and also, I need to point out one final thing about this same story is that, again, remember, I did did that for the show. At the same time, I was in marching band. Uh, and again, because I was a junior, we were starting the preparations for college uh, admissions and stuff like that, like college uh, stuff and like that. So we had something called, I think it was called like in-world something experience, something like that, where you were supposed to do things throughout the your junior year to get you ready for your senior year and like going out to colleges, meeting people. So you did a mock interview. Hmm. I had to do a mock interview where they made me take off my hat and I had to walk in with the hat on and say, hey, I just want to let you know, I'm going to take off my hat because that's you know what's required of me. But I needed you to know that you know there's a reason for it, stuff like that, right? And so I took off the hat. They were like, what is going on? Told them the story about what I was doing. They're like, that's incredible, right? Also did the same thing for Allstate Choir. I had an Allstate audition. I was like, hey, I was like, I'm, I understand we're not supposed to wear hats. I'm wearing one. I'm going to explain the situation. Then I'm going to take it off because of whatever. And they were kind of like, I said, I just didn't want to walk in and have it immediately be uh, a distraction. So like, you know, I wanted to right. basically express myself first so that you're not like, what the fuck is going on? And then also Did again. Did you say that to them? And... Well, I didn't say what the fuck. But, okay. <laughs> um, and then also again, same day <laughs> performed in the uh, the national championship of, yeah, of, of uh, marching band. Uh, Again, all with like a shaved head and was doing all these things and, you know, was constantly having to be like, oh, sorry, you know. Uh, so I I did that. I committed fully and like still went out in public and did all these things and put myself constantly online, was not afraid to show that I shaved head. Uh, but uh, that was it. That was what I did. Cool. I Excellent. Very impressive. Became Mr. Mushnick. Yeah. Hey, that's, that's all right. I have, though. Do you want to break into uh, Howard Stark's vault there and uh, get us out of here? Yes, and I'm going to put the work on to our uh, guest here and say, hey, can you give us a recommendation of one of your shows? Sure. Uh, So if you like uh, the television show community that is going to have a movie about it, boy, would you like to hear two people talk about it and mostly make jokes and stay off of just tangent all over the place like we've probably done in this episode. I don't remember what we've done. It's been a lot. Um, listen to Good Morning Greendale. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, uh, on the failing website Twitter, uh, at Good Morning er, Good Greendale. Ah, it took me a while to remember that. Or you can find us at good, good, GoodMorningGreendale.com. 
thank you for that, Mike. Uh, go ahead and check that out. And that's going to do it for us on this episode of Timeline Scavengers. As always, I'm Colin Parker. I'm James Anderson. I'm Mike Snyder. I'm going to do this in my Dum Dum Dugan voice. Excelsior! I like it. When did Dum Dum Dugan get on here? The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.